Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. My name is Michael, and I am a member here at the church, and I'm looking forward to being together here with you this morning. I'm also a professor at Ozark, so I want to strongly encourage you to drink lots of coffee this month and tip your baristas and all those sorts of things. Um, but no, it's fun to start this way, and we fully recognize that, you know, starting with an extended meet and greet where we're like supposed to talk about the things that God has been doing in our lives and has been communicating to us as we've reflected uh, in this series is for some of you like super fun and you want it to just go on all day, and others of you, you're literally counting the seconds till someone comes up here and saves you from this moment. But whether you love it or hate it, it's good every now and then just to pause and, uh, and like practice recognition of the fact that, you know, as we come here to worship God, I'm not the only one in the room, and neither are you. We're doing this together, and that's by design. And not Mark's design or the elder's design. That's by God's design. As we worship him and grow closer to him, it draws us toward one another. This is a critical truth that we do well to get inside our minds. It reminds me of one of my favorite old stories. I've shared this with some of you before. It's an old Jewish legend about the, the way God chose a location for his original temple, Temple is, of course, the place on earth where his presence is going to be manifest in a unique way. And according to the legend, there was these two brothers who lived on adjacent farms, Jewish brothers, way back when, centuries, centuries ago. And uh, this uh, one brother was a little bit older than he was the older brother. He was late late 30s, early 40s, so still a young guy, but he had a family. He had, you know, a couple of kids, and so things were moving along, and he was moving forward in his story. And and you like how I said still a young guy? Okay, so, and then over here you have the the younger brother. So he's like probably early 20s. 20s. He's not married yet, doesn't have any kids. He's just kind of doing his thing, owning his farm. And these two brothers love each other very much. And at a certain point in time, the older brother's thinking, man, like my brother, my younger brother, like he doesn't have anybody to take care of him. I got some strong daughters, strong sons. I got a wife. Like if something happens to me, we're going to be okay. So he began every night taking a bag of grain from his barns and carrying it over to his younger brother's barns, putting it with his. Around that same time, the younger brother looks across and is thinking about his older brother who he loves so much. And he's thinking, man, like, he's got so much responsibility. He's got a wife to take care of, kids to raise. Like, it's just me. I'm fine. Like, I'm just going solo right now. So he began every night taking a bag of grain from his barns and carrying it over to his older brother's barns. They did this for some time. And then as the, as the story goes, one night, the older brother gets up a little bit later than normal, and the younger brother gets up a little bit earlier than normal, and they do what they normally do. They bag up some grain, and they make their way across, and they come to this point in the middle of the two farms, and there in the moonlight, they look up, and they see one another, and they realize what's been happening, and they drop their bags of grain and embrace. And according to the story, God looks down and says, on this spot, I will build my temple, for my presence belongs where brothers dwell in such love and unity. Now, it's a legend. It didn't actually happen that way. But the story, I think, tells us a very important truth, that worshiping God and loving one another go hand in hand. If you want Jesus, you got to have the church. This is something that people have been, Christians have been affirming from the beginning of our time. I mean, for centuries, this has been said. I remember one of my favorite ways of of hearing this is from a leader uh, from the third century, about 250, named Cyprian. He was a leader of the church in Carthage. He said, no one can take God as father who doesn't also receive the church as mother. I love that. I think that's true. Now, we're going to say a little bit more simply today, and I want to try to summarize everything I want to say with the, I think, pretty easy to take home phrase, life with God is life together. We can understand that. Life with God is life together. Let's say it together. I'll say the first part. You say the second part. Life with God is? Life with 
Well done. Now, y'all say the first part, I'll say the second part. Life together, like that's how it goes. Life with God is life together. That's what I want to unpack together uh, with you today. And as you heard, this is the final week of our Pathway series as we've been looking at what are some of the necessary ingredients for our path, what are some of the various pathways that God takes us down as we pursue him and as we get closer to him and we become more the people he wanted us to be. And we're talking about community. I think it's a super simple message this morning. Just kind of want to lay out three parts to this. We're going to look at the biblical pattern of life and community. Then we're going to discuss our modern dilemma. And then we're going to end by talking about your wise response. So let's get right to it. The biblical pattern. I'm going to spend a little bit more time here, put the emphasis on here. Uh, One, because we think that, you know, what the Bible says is critically important, but also I'm going to just put all my cards on the table. I want to exert a little bit of pressure on y'all this morning. Not like too much or some sort of weird manipulative pressure. No guilt trip. I promise no guilt trip today. Like, we're going to leave it super open-ended and, and, and treat you like the grown-ups that you are. As we get to the end, you get to decide how you're going to respond to this. But I want you to walk away convinced that the Bible teaches that if you want to do life with God according to his design, that is a life in community. And I want you to feel a certain measure of pressure to discern for yourselves, what does it look like for me, for us, for you as a person, for y'all as a, as a family unit, as a group of friends, whatever. Like, what does it look like for you to step into this life that God has for you? I really wrestled up this first one. Should I just go ahead and call it the biblical command instead of the biblical pattern? I do think there's a command element to it, but I think pattern is better for for really the tone of scripture. And again, we don't want this to be a guilt decision. We want it to be a wisdom decision. The pattern of life laid out for us is the one I want to step into. So let's look at a few uh, passages from scripture. We could pull a number of them. I want to start with one that Mark has mentioned uh, at least a couple of times in this series. And it's become an increasingly uh, favorite verse of mine for like just the Christian life and, and, and doing life together. It's from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And the author of Hebrews says to the people that he's writing to, he says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love these verses. Now, the Hebrews is written into a community of people who, they were following Jesus, they loved God, and they were trying to, trying to do life the right way by God's design, but it was getting harder and harder for them socially. There was an increasing cost for them being faithful to Jesus, and so they really needed to buckle down and lean in. And the author says, I recognize that some people because of the times in which we're in, have actually backed away from this community thing. I'm telling you, don't do that. Don't give up meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but instead stay together so you can encourage and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And this is not a statement in isolation. This really is kind of a little bit of a, a, little bit of a tiny portrait for us of, of the life of the early church. I want to give you a little bit of a larger portrait from Acts chapter 2. It's still a snapshot, it's still an overview, but it gives us a sense, I want you to kind of use your imagination to get a sense of the kind of community that we're talking about when we look at the early church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's like this, gathering together for for worship, for church services. Says they also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
Now that is an ideal picture, but it's also a real one of the type of community life that God is inviting us into. And this too is not in isolation. I mean, this is representative of the story as a whole from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover. The Bible is about God's people. I don't know if you know this, but the first negative word spoken over creation is in Genesis chapter two. So in Genesis one, God's making stuff and he's like, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. He makes us and he's like, oh, that's very good. And then he looks down in chapter two and he says, this is not good. He's the one who says it, Genesis 2.18. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. You got this Adam guy hanging out down there. He says, it's not good for this guy to be going solo. Some of y'all are introverts and you're like, oh, I promise it is better. <laughs> I get you, I am too, but like not entire. Like we all recognize there's a limit to that. I was actually at this church one time and this, uh, the, the layout of this, uh, I was visiting the place and in the, fr- in the bottom floor of their church, in the front first floor, they had these little tiles everywhere and on every now and then they'd have a tile with some scripture verses on it. So John 3.16 and Philippians 4.13, all these well-known verses, you know. So I go into the men's room and I'm standing there at the urinal and I look down on my left foot and I see there on a tile, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. And I'm thinking to myself, if there is a place in the world where that is not true, (laughs) surely this is that place, you know? Weird, weird placement of that particular tile. But generally speaking, we understand it's not good to live entirely solo. The whole Old Testament is a story of God's relationship with Israel, a people. The whole New Testament is a story of Jesus establishing the church, a people, this community. And all of the individual characters that we come to know and appreciate, like Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and Paul and all these people, they don't make sense in isolation. They only make sense with respect to the community. Abraham, who is Abraham? He's this guy who God reached down and says, God, Abraham, here's what I want to do. Through you and your wife, Sarah, I want to turn y'all into this huge family, this big nation, and then through your family nation, I want to bless all the other families and nations. It's community. Moses, who's Moses? Well, Moses was living in the desert, chilling, doing business with God. He had his own family. and he, God wasn't like, isn't this great, Moses? We could just hang out like this forever. No, God said, Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt, and I want you to go to where my people are in bondage, and I want you to help me deliver them from slavery so that they could be free to worship me together. The prophets are sent to the people. David is the king of Israel. They only make sense with relationship to the community. Paul, the leader of churches, even Jesus, who died alone because only he could accomplish what was happening on the cross, but even Jesus gathered around himself these 12 apostles and did life with them on a daily basis for a few years so that he might send them out. And the gathering of the 12 was both for the sake of friendship and community, and also it symbolizes the bringing back together, the restoring of God's people, which is such an important theme for Jesus in his ministry. You think about the different metaphors in the New Testament for life with Jesus and they're communal, the body of Christ. We're not like, it doesn't say you are the arm of Jesus, you're the pointer finger of Jesus. No, like you're the body of Christ and the whole point of this metaphor is that nobody can do it on their own. Each of us need each other. And so there should be a mutual valuing of the different contributions that we bring. Literally everybody matters because we all work together to contribute to what God is doing here. Another less popular one or less known one is that we're described as a building Sometimes a temple specifically, but other times just a building. Not a wall, not a room, not a brick. (laughs) You're the building of God because it's together. Jesus talks about himself as the vine and we are the branches. 
There's this communal image of like gathering together the people. A branch that disconnected from the vine is not a branch, it's a twig. He doesn't say we're a bunch of twigs. He says, I'm the vine, we're the branches all together. And yet, every single person in the room knows of someone, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, and I would imagine that probably a number of us at points have been the person. We all know or have been the person who said, I can love Jesus without going to church. No, you can't. Like, I don't want to be harsh, but I also don't like lying to people I care about, you know? Like, I technically, I don't like lying to people I don't care about either, but you get the point. I'm just trying to lay out the truth for you of what the scriptures indicate here. Your relationship with God is personal, absolutely. And if we lose that, I think we lose something integral to the life of faith. It is a personal relationship, but it is not a private one. You think about this, if you contrast the forms of community in the two most popular reality game shows of the last 20, 25 years, I'm dating myself a little bit, but that's okay. Like you got Survivor on the one hand and you got Amazing Race on the other. Y'all remember these, some of you still watch them. I don't even know if they're both still on, but Survivor, you know, it's this game. How many of y'all know what Survivor is? You know, yes, okay, good, just making sure. It's this game where you put a bunch of people on an island and then one at a time they vote each other off the island because how many people win the game? One, single soul survivor. And so you form relationships. They're called alliances, but they're not real friendships because I'm just using you to further my game and you're just using me to further your game. And if we actually do start to care about each other, it actually makes us like less good at the game because there's only one winner. It's not real community. On the other hand, you have amazing race where if you cross that finish line and your teammate is not with you, you did not complete that leg of the race. You are not victorious. You cannot win by crossing the finish line alone because by definition, this is a team competition. You win the game together. And I would suggest to you that Christianity is much more, no disrespect to both shows, they're both good. Christianity is much more amazing race in this regard than it is Survivor. It is not an individual pursuit of anything. It's not an individual pursuit of of perfection, of godliness, of happiness, of whatever it might be. It is a shared journey as we walk together with Jesus along this path that he has called for us. Community. But man, there's so many people there and I don't like all of them. Do you know who I would have to hang out with if I leaned into community? I don't like that person. So? (laughs) I mean, I get it. I don't like everybody either and you don't all like me. Like, this is part of how it goes, you know? And it strikes me, actually, it strikes me that we all want to be a certain kind of person. Like, not exactly the same, but nobody, like, wants to be a jerk. Like, nobody's like, you know what I like doing? I like being impatient. I find it to be so fun. (laughs) Nobody says, you know what? I just, I want to only be kind to people who are just like me. They got to vote like me and dress like me and eat like me and have the same skin color as me. Nobody actually says that, right? We want to be loving people, at least in theory, and we want that love to extend beyond a tiny circle. And yet what strikes me is that we sometimes resist the very means that God has given us to turn us into that kind of people. The church, the community full of people who we might not necessarily choose to spend time in a living room with, and yet there they are, and maybe that's good for us. Maybe we actually need that. You know, our leadership has, of this church, man, they've been, for like a few years now, they've been doing a deep dive research project, looking at data from others, talking to many of you, looking at their own lives, researching in the scriptures, and digging deep to try to discern, okay, we got this big machine called Christ Church. So like, there's a lot of different people in and out of here, and how do we create systems that really focus in on the things that are necessary to growing with God? 
Now, that's what this Pathways is all about. You've got to have some celebration practices in your life as you worship God and engage Him in a disciplined manner. You've got to be involved in service. There's got to be some kingdom-building generosity. You've got to be willing to share your story and experiencing that, just telling it to people who don't know it. But then that other one, man, it's like the, it's like the backbone in a certain respect of these. You've got to have that spiritual friendship and accountability. Now, many of these are communal, but this one is explicitly so. If this isn't there, you don't grow. And maybe you're still thinking, no, 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 I get it. Like, in theory, I get it. The church has been great to me, but I'm at a point in my life where I'm okay. Like, I'm a self-sustainer. I don't really need more. I can just show up, get a little bit on Sunday, say hi, you know, meet a few people, and then roll, and it's fine. Let me just suggest to you that maybe you need to dig deeper into community, not for yourself, but because somebody else needs you. Like, what if the reason for you isn't, I just need more relationships? What if it is that you are that part of the body of Christ that God wants to use to bring his blessing to somebody else? What if you are the answered prayer waiting to move in somebody else's life? I love how we've been hearing recently our mission statement is this, you know, preparing God's people to discover completeness in Jesus. It comes straight out of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is one more verse that's all about different people working together so that we reach unity and knowledge and faith. We know God and we trust in him and so that we're prepared for works of service throughout the world. That's how this thing is designed to work. That's what God put into place. And maybe this is enough. We're still only scratching the surface of what the Bible says about this. I want to look at one more thing with you. I know it's one of Mark's favorite things he's mentioned. It's one of my favorites as well. We love to talk about this and note this. I want to talk about the one another statements in the New Testament. We've mentioned to you a couple of times over this series that there's a lot of them. I counted 59 the last time I worked through the New Testament looking through some of these things. There's probably more. I probably missed a few. I'm just going to read 30 or so of them to you. One another commands. So these are commands in the New Testament to us. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble against one another. Be of the same mind toward one another, a selfless mind of Jesus. Accept one another. Wait for another before starting the Lord's Supper. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently and patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another, and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. That's in there about a dozen times. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with the kiss of love. We'll go with a fist bump or a pat on the back. Different culture, you understand. Give preference to one another in honor. Honor one another above yourselves is what it's saying. Regard somebody else as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be arrogant, but be of the same humble mind. Be subject to one another. That's submit to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Do not judge one another and don't put stumbling blocks in each other's way. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another with the truth of the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. And probably my favorite, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ from Galatians chapter 6. If the one another's teach us anything, it's that this was never designed to be something that we do on our own. The biblical pattern of life with Jesus is a pattern of life together. But that brings us to our modern dilemma. I almost called it our modern crisis, but I don't want to be dramatic, so we'll keep it chill. Our modern dilemma. The modern dilemma is that on the one hand, we love the idea of community. Like the idea of deeper friendships, of deeper relationships, of transformational, accountable connections. Like that's a cool thing to us in theory. 
You can see this in all sorts of ways. I even think about, and I know like a lot of times we pick on the internet and probably for good reasons, and we'll talk maybe about some of the negativities with respect to community, but one of the things I noticed about the internet is that as soon as it showed up, we started trying to use it to connect. Y'all remember chat rooms? I don't know if they're still a thing, but like early on the internet, some of y'all were babies. Chat rooms was how people connected. It's been a long time from chat rooms to social media, but notice that it's called social media. And no doubt it's part of the problem, but it also represents this desire to connect. We're reaching out and connecting. I think we want that. I think we want to be better people and we recognize. I don't think it's going to be surprising to you if I tell you that I've grown the most in seasons of my life where I had other men who were close enough to me and who I trusted enough to call me on my junk and to encourage me toward godliness and to ask me hard questions and to be there for me to confess my sins to. Like we, we in theory, we, we want this. We recognize the importance of this. I think regardless of your age or station in life, you know that good, solid friendships are good for you. It's been probably 20, 25 years since Robert Putnam released his book, Bowling Alone. He's a Harvard sociologist who spent a number of years studying patterns of community and loneliness in American life. And among his more interesting findings were all sorts of studies that indicate the relationship between relationships and health. A couple of things they discovered in this once, I think this was a Vanderbilt study, discovered that people who have closer, more close relationships actually get fewer common colds. I think it's maybe because they're sneezing on each other and building up immunities. I don't know. But I think what they were trying to argue was that there's something about relating that actually stimulates our immune system. Another one, I can't remember if it was Michigan or Tennessee, uh, the universities, was, was demonstrating that the people who had a stronger social network actually recovered faster from a stroke than others. Probably my favorite one discovered that on the one hand, if you have folks who, uh, who exercise and eat well, they live a healthy life, but they don't have close relationships. And you compare them to people who don't live a healthy life, like they don't exercise, they're, not eat, they're eating whatever they want, they're eating sugar, you know, fatty foods, whatever, but they have close relationships. These people actually live longer than these people. Isn't that crazy? That's no justification, right, for lack of health, but it is a call to relationship. Now, I remember reading the words uh, years ago in this book. He says, as a general rule of thumb, if you belong to no close groups, but you join one over the next year and a half, you cut your risk of dying in half, which I think leads to a wonderful new slogan for our life groups ministry, don't you? <laughs> join a life group or die. <laughs> like that's pretty motivating, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I think we're there though. I think that we, we again, we want community, but this is, the, this is the dilemma. The dilemma of living in our particular age is that there's a big difference between love and the idea and practicing the ideal. Like we want close relationships, but we're not necessarily, don't necessarily have habits together that produce and sustain these close relationships that we want. And some of it probably is beyond our control. Some of it is the development of the world. You think about how technology has developed. I mean, in ancient societies, your whole life was like right in front of you. The, the travel was less. You could, some people travel, but not as much. And when you were here, like you were all here mentally, right? Like you were going to be engaged in the people around you. But technology has done wonderful things for us, but it's also pulled us apart from one another in certain respects. So now we can travel with the development of roads and various travel systems. When the printing press gave us books so I can be right here, but I'm actually not right here because I'm in the world of this book. And certainly the, this is where our phones don't necessarily help us very much at all. One of the first books I read or saw on the, on the topic of how, you know, sell, you know, having these little black boxes in our pockets all the time, uh, how it packs us, the book was called Elsewhere USA. And the argument of the book was that we might be here, but most of us are somewhere else most of the time. 
We're just not as engaged with one another. I don't know what the reasons are for you, right? And I don't want to bore you with sociological analysis. I do want to share one more phrase that I've heard that haunts me, and it's the phrase crowded loneliness. And I think what it is for me about that phrase is I don't have to tell you who coined it in what book or what research developed it. I just say the phrase, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I sometimes walk through the cafeteria at the college, and there's a bunch of people. Are we sure they're not lonely? You go to a sporting event. There's a lot of people here. Are we sure that they're not lonely? You go to a concert. Man, it's crowded. You go to church. Man, there's a lot of shoulder rubbing happening. Are we sure that most of us aren't lonely? Because being in the same room is not the same as being connected in real relationship. And I think we want this. But I think it's hard. It's hard to organize our lives in such a way that we receive this. And I think the reasons are probably different. I'm even kind of hesitant to start listing stuff off because they're probably not the same for you as they are for me. I mean, I want community. I'm just so, so what? What is it? Is there a fear element here? Like I'm, maybe for some, it's like I'm afraid. I don't want people to see the warts and all. I'm afraid of if I get in there and it's, what if they don't like me? Or what if it's awkward? Like what if I commit and then these people are really weird and I don't want to hang out with them? Then what do I do, you know? I understand there's some fear elements involved. Maybe it is that society just isn't super well organized for, for, for producing close relationships. Maybe it's, I want this, I'm just so busy. I don't know what it is about our modern dilemma that stands between you and the biblical pattern, but that is what takes us to your wise response. Because we get to a certain point where, yeah, there are some factors, external and internal, obstacles here and there, but I gotta decide what am I gonna do? And you gotta decide what are you gonna do? And if I've done what I think God sent me here to do this morning, you are fairly, fairly well convinced that life with God is life together. And you hopefully feel just a little bit of pressure to, not to just go change everything, but to at least think it through, at least ask, okay, God, like what is a wise response for me to this call to biblical community? We're going to give you some time to reflect on that here in just a moment. I just want to tell you real quick, here's where our family's at. So this summer, you know, Beth and I have lived here for six and a half years now, and uh, we were super, super involved in various types of life groups in the, in the church that we uh, served at and the place where we lived before. And, and so we came, you know, knowing that community is important, and then we get into our rhythms, and we've talked about it at various points. Up until recently, we have not been in a life group at the church. And I, I don't know that we've been being disobedient or even unwise. We're just trying to discern the moment, but we have this conversation regularly. And this summer, we were talking about it, and we're thinking, all right, like, what should we do? Like, should we try to jump in? And some people in our neighborhood that may be starting one, is this something that would be wise for us? And we talked it all through and we actually decided, no, it just doesn't seem wise to add anything else right now. But it didn't sit well with us. A week or two go by and we continue to talk this through. And we got to a point where I'll tell you, there were a lot of factors, but the primary one, she's the one that brought this up, the primary one for us that, 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 that kind of pushed us and we got we to do something, was the recognition that we're probably doing a decent job teaching our kids to follow Jesus worship God and to lean into the word and to live as a Christ following person, to believe the gospel and to love everybody around them and all those important things. I don't know if we're teaching our fam, our kids. She said, we don't know if we're modeling for our children a life of biblical community, a life of biblical fellowship. That's what it was for us. We looked at each other and said, you know what? Things aren't going to slow down for a good dozen years or so. <laughs> and probably not even then. So we probably shouldn't wait around. We should jump in. And we joined a life group. We've been meeting now for a few weeks. It's been great. We're meeting later on today. 
Now, nobody's kids have punched anybody else's kids yet. Nobody's broken anything. And we're probably, as with most communities, eventually have to talk through differences and various things. But man, we're jumping in. We're leaning into it. What does a wise response look like for you? So here in a moment, band's just going to play. You guys got your cards that you've been using to reflect. It's got that Hebrews verse on there and some space on the back. I'm going to give you some prompts to think through. For some of you, it's just a matter of continuing to do what you're doing. You're actually doing a good good job in this. You're allowed to say, I think I'm doing a good job in this. I'm just going to keep going. Cool, do that. But for others, you may need to think through, all right, um, maybe there's some relationships that you currently have. You don't need a new circle. You just need to take some of these current relationships and maybe focus them a little bit more, be more intentional about this becoming a Jesus-centered community of encouragement, a gospel-centered community. Maybe you work with some other believers and that would be a context for you. Maybe you have a good extended family. Maybe there's some other families from the church or from other churches in your neighborhood and that would be a place to start. So for some of you, it's just leaning intentionally into relationships you have. But I think for a lot of you, it's, it's going to be wrestling with this decision. Should we join a life group? Should we, and I get it, to say no, yes to something new means to say no to some other things. Should we find out what we can say no to so that we could jump in in this way and begin practicing biblical community in this particular form? I don't know what the decision looks like for you. That's why it's called your wise response. But we're going to give you some time to think it through. I don't want to pray some wisdom over you as you do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for everybody in the room. I'll keep the prayer short, God, so they have time to think and listen to you. I ask for wisdom for all of us so that we might be able to discern how would you have us respond to these truths that we've seen in your word. Bless them as individuals, as family units, as friendship units, as roommate units, whatever, God, like whoever their communities are. Help them think and talk and wrestle with you and each other about how best to live in biblical community. Thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.